0: let me just pray as we come to consider again the person of the holy spirit our father our prayer is simply this that in these weeks as we study the person of the holy spirit that we would get to know him better lord we want to know the person of the father the person of the son and the person of the Holy Spirit. So teach us all about Him, and may it thrill our hearts, and well up in us a love for God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all this we ask in Jesus' name, and for His sake, amen. Now, before we begin, let me point you to some notes on the back of the service sheet that will give you and me uh, a guide and a gauge as we work through this material. I want you to imagine two things. First, that you love with an abiding passion the game of golf. Now, for some that will need a lot of imagination, I need to pick a sport for the illustration, and golf is my chosen pick. You love it so much that when you sleep, you dream of golf. And when you're awake, you love nothing more than to play golf. You love golf. It is the passion in your life. That's the first thing I want you to imagine. And the second is this. This takes even more imagination. That you get a text from Tiger Woods asking quite casually, if you would like to play a round of golf with him at the braids. So we are in the realm of imagination. But just go with it, and you turn up on the day, and there he is. Just imagine him, if you know the braids, standing up there, Tiger Woods, with all the aura that goes with him. You turn up on the day, and there he is. You have never met him in person. You've never met him but you already know so much about Him, because you have watched Him play for years. And now you're going to meet Him in person, play a round of golf with Him, and it's going to transform your game. Now, I'd after illustration, but here is the point. Our series on Sunday evenings is Knowing the Person of God, the Holy Spirit, knowing the person of God, the Holy Spirit. And as Christians, we tend to think of the person of God, the Holy Spirit, in relation to our life as believers. That to be a Christian means to be indwelt by the person of God, the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, living in me, living in you. And the indwelling spirit in the believer is a wonderful wonderful truth, because He gives us new birth and new life. He unites us with Jesus Christ in all of His saving achievements, and He changes us to be like Jesus, gifting us for His service, empowering us in witness as we have heard tonight, helping us in our weakness, and reassuring us in our doubts. It is a wonderful truth that the Holy Spirit indwells us. And in due course in our series, we will give time to consider all that it means to be indwelt by the person of God, the Holy Spirit. But first of all, I want us, as it were, to read the biography of the person of God, the Holy Spirit, in all of the chapters that come before His indwelling of us. Now, let me illustrate it like this. If the person of God the Holy Spirit sent to indwell us is chapter 6, then I want to read chapters 1 to 5 in His biography. Last time we looked at chapters 1 to 3, First, the eternal God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You can see the headings at the top of the sheet. And then in the biography of the person of the Holy Spirit, we considered the Holy Spirit at creation, active in creation with the Father and the Son. And then thirdly, the person of God, the Holy Spirit, in the old covenant period, the history of God's people before Jesus, all that is described about the person of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament Scriptures. And tonight, chapter four, the person of the Holy Spirit in the life and ministry of Jesus. Next week, God willing, the person of the Holy Spirit in the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus and the giving by Jesus of the person of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And then we'll get to the person of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But I pray with a much richer understanding and appreciation of and love for the person of the Spirit who indwells us. Now, one thing to underscore, the activity or the ministry of the person of the Holy Spirit at creation and through the old covenant and in the life of Jesus is not the same in every respect as the ministry of the person of the Holy Spirit that indwells us. There are some aspects of the Spirit's ministry that are unique to Christ, and we need to be clear on the differences. And some aspects are the same. But we need to draw a distinction between, on the one hand, the activity or ministry of the person of the Holy Spirit that is not the same with us as it is with Christ in every respect. We need to draw that distinction while at the same time hold on to and remember that there is only one person of the Holy Spirit. His activity and ministry might be different in us compared with Christ, but He is the same person. And the wonderful truth that dawns on our hearts, that the one person of the Holy Spirit that indwells you and indwells me as a believer is the eternal Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit that hovered over the waters at creation, the person of the Holy Spirit that anointed prophets, priests, and kings in the old covenant and made glorious promises, and the person of the Holy Spirit that is the constant and intimate companion of Jesus. And so, we need to sort out what the person of the Holy Spirit's ministry is in Christ's life and in the apostles' lives and in our life. It's very important that we are clear on the differences, but it's the same person of the Holy Spirit. Now, our focus tonight the person of God the Holy Spirit in the life and ministry of Jesus. Let me explain where we're going. You'll see on the notes I want us to consider four things, the person of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' incarnation, at the start or inauguration of His ministry, in His temptations, and then through the rest of His ministry. Now, number one, and very quickly because we touched on this last week, the person of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' incarnation. Now, at significant points in salvation history, a child is born in circumstances where it is clear that the child would not have been born had God not intervened. And that happens at significant points in salvation history to show us that God is at work to alert us that something big is happening. For example, the birth of Isaac to Sarah and Abraham so that God's promise could begin. The birth of Obed described in the book of Ruth, grandfather to King David. Or the birth of Samuel to Hannah and Elkanah Samuel, God's prophet, who would anoint David as king. These births, all significant in God's plan to save humanity. None of these children would have been born without the intervention of God. And the point is, God is sovereign throughout history in bringing about His salvation. And all of these miraculous births, as God enabled women who are far too old to have children, to have children. All of these point forward and are surpassed when Jesus was conceived in the womb of a virgin called Mary through the person of the Holy Spirit. Luke 135, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, what does the Holy Spirit conceiving in Mary Jesus mean about Jesus? Nothing, nothing has ever happened like that in the history of humanity. It has only happened once, so that we know that His birth, in all of its humility, is the most significant point in salvation history, and that His birth is a new beginning. Like the person of the Holy Spirit who came upon the earth at creation, the person of the Holy Spirit came upon Mary at the conception of Jesus. For through Jesus, there will come salvation and a new creation. When we recite in the Creed about believing in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, born to a virgin, it is an extraordinary and astonishing act of God that in that young woman's womb, the incarnate Son of God became flesh through the power of the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, that activity of the person of the Holy Spirit is unique to Christ at His birth. But the same person of the Holy Spirit indwells you as a believer. The Spirit who could do these things. Number two on the sheet the person of the Holy Spirit at the inauguration of Jesus' ministry. Now, if you've got a Bible, please can you turn it open to Luke chapters 3 and 4? and see how this is all laid out for us in Luke's gospel. Now, Freddie read for us Luke chapter 3, verses 15 to 22. Let me read in again from chapter 3, verse 15. Luke is describing the ministry of John the Baptist. Verse 15, "'As the people were filled with expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, "'I baptize you with water,' But he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, John the Baptist is at the top of the tree of the line of prophets. He is the greatest prophet. He is the great preacher. He is, according to the Lord Jesus, the greatest man born of woman. And he says, I am not even worthy to untie his sandals, which in the culture, of Jesus' day, was too menial a task even to ask a servant to do. I am nothing. He is everything this great preacher says. And let me tell you just how different he is. I get you wet with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. What is John referring to? I think he's referring to Pentecost, when Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to the church. Let me just read a few verses from Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, we'll come to that next time. But John the Baptist is saying, this Lord Jesus is going to baptize you. He is going to send to the church the Holy Spirit with fire. Now, back to Luke 3 and reading from verse 21 we might get the sense that this is a big moment in salvation history we know that because the holy spirit has conceived in this girl the incarnate son of god when all the people luke 3:21 were baptized and when jesus also had been baptized and was praying the heavens were opened and the holy spirit descended on him in bodily form. Now, try to picture what's going on here. Jesus comes up out of the waters of baptism. He is the incarnate Son of God, the second person of the Trinity in human flesh. As He came up out of the waters, the Holy Spirit, that distinct person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, descended on Jesus in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven the voice of God the Father. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Who is there at Jesus' baptism? John the Baptist and the crowds, but God in the person of the Son in the incarnate Jesus, but God in the person of the Father in the voice from heaven, and God in the person of the Holy Spirit and that's a big deal. That's a big, big deal. The presence of God in the person of the Father, in the person of the Son, and in the person of the Holy Spirit at the inauguration of Jesus' ministry signifies that the saving of humanity, and it's important, I think, that we really grasp this, is not the activity or ministry of one person, person of the Godhead. The saving of humanity is not, for example, the activity or ministry only of the person of Jesus. It's not just that Jesus saves us. It is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in concert, all the agency of the Godhead from eternity, Father, Son, and Spirit converging at this new beginning, like they converged at creation. All that God is, all that God is, focused on the saving of humanity. And that is the power. And it's an almighty power. God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit sweeping through history. That is the power that is in the living church. It is the power in this part of the world. It is the power in Africa. And as we will see when the Holy Spirit indwells us, We are brought into fellowship, God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and therefore this powerful person, God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, is in your life. There is, I think, here too, a signal of another creation. God the Father is speaking like He did at creation, and God in the person of the Holy Spirit is hovering over the face of the waters. The person of the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus in bodily form as a dove, reminiscent of the dove descending on the ark after the flood that consumed the whole earth. That was a new beginning, a little new beginning. But now with Jesus, salvation has come salvation that will lead to a new creation, Now, just look in your Bibles. Why is this all followed by a genealogy in Luke's gospel? Seems a strange place to put a genealogy. Shouldn't it be at the beginning of the gospel? Well, Luke puts it here because he wants to emphasize the point that Jesus, the man Jesus Christ, will be the first man of the new creation— as Adam was the first man at creation. Just look at the genealogy, verse 23. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph. Then all the way back in the genealogy to Adam, verse 38, the son of Enos, the son of Theth, the son of Adam, the son of God. It's just one light after another being turned on at the start of this man's ministry. And in Romans, the apostle Paul describes Jesus as the second Adam and the last man, meaning that in Jesus, God brings in a new creation and a redeemed humanity, so that when the Holy Spirit And we're jumping forward again. When the person of the Holy Spirit indwells you and indwells me as a believer, bringing about new birth all of a sudden, we are no longer in Adam, but in Christ, the second Adam and the last man in whom we have redemption. Now, one more thing to note at this point about the person of the Holy Spirit at the inauguration of Jesus' ministry, and you can see it on the sheet. Last week, we thought about the particular salvation role of the person of the Holy Spirit through the Old Covenant, anointing different prophets, priests, and kings, like the Holy Spirit anointed a prophet like Ezekiel to speak God's Word, anointing priests to intercede for God's people, anointing kings like David to rule over God's people and lead them against the enemies of God. And now, this is the first time this building has been really warm, anyone else really warm? It's never right, is it? It's always too warm or too cold. And at this massive moment in salvation history, when God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all there in concert, Jesus is anointed Not as our prophet or as our priest or as our king. Not even as our prophet, priest, and king. He is anointed as the prophet, priest, and king. And all the stuff that foreshadowed Jesus in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, collapses in him. Prophet, priest, and king. He is the last word. He is the high priest. He is the forever king. He is anointed by the person of the Holy Spirit. Think of David back in 1 Samuel, anointed by Samuel, and the Holy Spirit rushed upon him. Well, here the Holy Spirit rushes upon the incarnate Christ, prophet, priest and king. And the voice of God, the Father that came from heaven, you are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased, is a quotation from Psalm 2, a psalm about God's Messiah King, but the second bit is a quotation from Isaiah 42 about the Lord's suffering servant, Jesus anointed as God's King, but as the servant King who will give His life, as a sacrifice. Number three, the person of the Holy Spirit and Jesus' temptations. Remarkable stuff here. Read with me from chapter 4 and verse 1. Gosh, it is hot, isn't it? You'll be fine, Richard, though. Absolutely fine. This is cool and balmy. Chapter 4 and verse 1, Jesus said, what we could do is turn the heaters off. That might be a good idea. How about that? Somebody switch them off. Easy peasy. Look at that. Let's just pause and turn the heaters off. Okay, okay. thank you. Well, that wasn't rocket science, was it? What do you do when it's really hot? You turn the heaters off. Now, let's consider the person of the Holy Spirit and Jesus' temptations. Read with me from chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil Mark is even stronger. Mark 1 verse 12, the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. You know, what do we pray? Lead us not into temptation, but here the person of the Holy Spirit is doing precisely the opposite. He is not only leading Jesus into temptation, he is thrusting Him out into the arena of temptation. The person of the Holy Spirit directing the person of Jesus God the Son into battle with Satan. What a remarkable moment as the Son of God takes the fight to the adversity of God the devil. Divine intent, divine declaration of war, but not just on the part of the person of the Son, the person of the Holy Spirit, and the person of Jesus the Son in divine concert to do battle with the devil. Now, this is meant to remind us of creation. Jesus is not in a garden any more like Adam. He is in a barren wilderness with nothing to eat, surrounded by wild animals. And Jesus is reversing the events of the fall by not being tempted. The second Adam is reversing the events of the fall by being in the wilderness with Satan, not being tempted and the devil has not experienced anything like this before. And the amount of weight the devil throws at Jesus in the Gospels. Demons are hardly mentioned in the Bible. They are all over Palestine for the three and a half years when Jesus walked on the earth, legions of them. But here the devil meets his match. He meets his superior. And for the first time in history, the devil is forced to withdraw. Chapter four, thirteen. when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from Jesus until an opportune time. What is the devil tempting Jesus to do? Not to go to the cross. That is why he says to Jesus, Jesus, come up here. You can have all this dominion. He will have it, but only through the cross when the devil will be fatally wounded. Now, what did the person of the Holy Spirit do for Jesus in his temptations? He led him or He drove him into the arena of temptation to defeat the tempter, the devil. Now, He does not do that with us. He leads us not into temptation because He led Christ into temptation. But the Holy Spirit in the life of Christ in all sorts of ways also sustained Jesus in His temptations, was His helper, His comforter, here and at other times like in Gethsemane. And one of the most precious things about the person of the Holy Spirit that indwells us as believers is the help the comfort, the counsel He brings to us in our weakness, whether in our temptations or in our sufferings. He is our helper, our comforter, our advocate. Now, let me read Romans 8, a couple of verses, and think on the person of the Holy Spirit that you are seeing in the life of Christ, sustaining Christ likewise the spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray for as we ought but the spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of god and you begin to understand what comes next in romans 8 which is an extraordinary statement in the face of life's realities, but one that comes into our hearts with profound comfort when we realize who it is that indwells us, the person of the Holy Spirit, and therefore we know that for those who love God, all things, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Number four, The person of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' ministry. Now, reading on from verse 14 in Luke 4, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee after his temptations. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, and lo and behold, one of the great promises, Isaiah 61, of the Spirit that is upon the Lord. Jesus read these words, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the roll, the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on Him. And then He began to say to them, it's the most remarkable application to a sermon. Today, this Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What has been fulfilled in their hearing? That the Spirit of the Lord, that is the person of God, the Holy Spirit, is upon Christ, the incarnate Son of God, because he, that is the person of God, the Holy Spirit, has anointed me, Jesus, to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to recover sight to the blind and is set at liberty, those who are oppressed. And right from day one of Jesus' preaching ministry, the person of the Holy Spirit anoints the words of Jesus and convicts people of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. The person of the Holy Spirit, after Jesus goes to glory and the Spirit has come at Pentecost, enables the apostles as agents of Christ to write the words of Scripture. And one of the wonderful truths that in you and in me, the person of God, the Holy Spirit, is what enables us to witness and to proclaim. If you took God, the Holy Spirit, out of you, you could not proclaim the gospel. You would have no power, no truth, no words, no help. The person of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus is primarily interested in the proclamation of the Word of God. And the person of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus is how Jesus performs miracles the incarnate Son of God, when He performs miracles, He doesn't kind of lean back on His divinity, if you like. He performs them in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, that is a ministry an activity of the Holy Spirit that is unique to Christ. Stuff like feeding 5,000 people, stuff like stilling storms, stuff like raising children from the dead in the power of the Spirit. And then something really wonderful in Luke's gospel. We touched on this in our studies. The person of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' ministry bringing Jesus, our Savior, joy. Just turn to Luke 10, verses 21 to 24. Luke 10:21. this is after the disciples had come back, after having been sent out in mission. In that same hour, he rejoiced, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. And as one Bible commentator puts it, Jesus is having a profound family moment as He relishes His relationship with His Father and with the Holy Spirit, the the, the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, issuing in joy, in the incarnate Christ. And one of the wonderful truths, when the Holy Spirit indwells us, this is what Jesus says will happen. He's speaking about Pentecost and then the indwelling of the Spirit in us. This is John 14. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. When you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, you will understand and know something of the fellowship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You will have all through your life as a Christian sweet family moments when you realize with joy in your heart that you are in God's family, that God is your Father and Christ is your fellow heir and the Holy Spirit is reason for joy. Now, our time is done. We are getting to know the biography that is the person of the Holy Spirit, eternal God in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, the Holy Spirit at creation, active with the Father and the Son, bringing order into chaos, fullness into emptiness. The person of the Holy Spirit in the old covenant. Tonight, the person of the Holy Spirit in the life and ministry of Christ. And next week, God willing, the person of the Holy Spirit through the death, resurrection, ascension of Christ, and Jesus giving the Holy Spirit to the church at Pentecost. And then we get to the person of the Holy Spirit indwelling us. Now, we're about to sing a hymn, Jesus, I my cross have taken, all to leave and follow thee. You've all put your Bibles down. It was a good idea to turn off the heaters. Jesus, I my cross have taken all to leave and follow Thee. That's a radical thing, and I know that for some of us as we have studied these passages in Luke, we're thinking, am I a real Christian? Is this really me? Jesus, I, my cross have taken all to leave and follow Thee does not mean we all need to go to this part of the world or that part of the world or in Christian ministry or whatever. There's a beautiful verse in the song about the person of the Holy Spirit. It's hard to find songs about the person of the Holy Spirit. It's an old song brought back into our songbook with a new tune. The old language has been retained. Here's the verse about the Holy Spirit that we'll sing in a moment. Think. What spirit dwells within thee? Think what father's smiles are thine. Think what Jesus died to win thee. Child of heaven, canst thou repine? Notice the emphasis on thinking and understanding. What are we doing in these weeks? We are thinking about the Holy Spirit that dwells within us the person of the Holy Spirit that is eternal at creation in the old covenant in Christ. But what on earth does repine mean? We had no idea in the staff meeting. It means, and we're not to repine. To repine means to be dejected, to be discontented. It means to long for something else to fret, to complain. What a great word, repine. A Christian dejected, discontented, longing for something else, fretting, complaining. And we might add to that, lacking assurance of salvation. And the hymn writer gets it spot on. Think what Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit that dwells within thee. Think about it in our discontentment, in our yearning, in our searching, in our fretting. Think what father's smiles are thine, and think that Jesus died to win thee. And what's so great about that hymn is that it encourages us not to just think about the person of the Holy Spirit, but when we think about the person of the Holy Spirit, we are to think about the person of God, the Father, and God, the Son. Think, think, understand. Take it to your heart, and as you do, let God minister to your soul, to your downcast, discontented, longing, fretful, anxious soul, because Christ has sent the Holy Spirit to indwell your Wonderful. Lord, we thank You for what You are teaching us. And we pray that we would have a deep knowledge of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit and find comfort and assurance therein. Help us, Lord, to sing now in the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells us And as we do so, bringing praise to you, for that is your due, but just as much, encouraging those around us in whose lives the Spirit of God dwells. So bless us, Lord, as we sing these words about Father, Son, and Spirit, and as we recommit as a church family. To follow the path of the cross-bound Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen.